You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. I'm going to ask you all to open, uh, open your Bibles right now to Psalm 27. We're going to jump into that in a few minutes. I'm going to ask you if you can keep that open, and uh, as we'll be referencing it throughout the message. I want to thank the music team uh, for the songs here. I want to thank them for their skill, but more importantly for their heart um, for, uh, as they uh, put that uh, song set together. Um, already this morning, we've had the opportunity to come and be present with God and to have God's presence with us through those songs. And as we go through the message, you're just going to hear um, how those songs just play out even in what we have to share. So thank you. Let's jump right in and uh, look at Psalm 27. Let's just read that and take it from there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I'm just going to tell you everything I have to say from here on out pales in comparison uh, to the reading of God's word. This is worthy of uh, the preoccupation and preeminence and prominence in all of my life and in our church's life. And that rings true what I just said if we just spend time reading things like Psalm 119 or 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed by God and it's profitable. Or Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful. 1 Peter 1, we're born again by the word of God and not by anything of this world. Isaiah 55, God's word will not return void. Um, it will always produce value. I think about the people in Nehemiah's day. As God's word was proclaimed and they're weeping because of the applicability uh, of it to them. When's the last time that I or you wept 
aloud when God's word was read. Shame on me when I let the noise of my mouth and the noise in my mind drown out the voice of God. Have I made that point? Have we got agreement there? Is there an amen to that? It's the old Sunday school song. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble. It will firmly stand when this earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. So what we're going to look at today is actually launched um, from Psalm 27. It's the greatest secret of living in the kingdom of God here on earth. At least that's what an esteemed brother and writer in Christ believed. Brother Lawrence, he died 330 years ago. And what did he say was that greatest secret of living in this kingdom? It's the art of practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. There it is, folks. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to be able to address every eventuality of life, if you want to know how best to navigate the waters, whether there's a calm uh, seas of prosperity and and, uh, peacefulness, or whether it's the storms or the waters of turbulence and and storms of, of rapids boiling up all around you, this is it. At least that's what Brother Lawrence thought, that the presence of God, the practice of the presence of God. And you might enjoy picking up a copy of this book. It's a simple, easy read, written 329 years ago, a year after uh, he died. It's a simple, easy read, but it's got some rich application. The question I, I, I throw out to you is, do you want victory over some issue? Do you want to know what God's will is? Do you want some sense of what your contribution is to the world around you? Do you want to be a good parent for your children? Or to work heartily as unto the Lord? Or to worship Christ more richly? Maybe you just want to um, deal more wisely with all things COVID. You want a better marriage or to manage the grind of life. Maybe it's just to know who you are. Then nail this, practicing the presence of God. If what Brother Lawrence had to say has any merit, if I'm correct that it will help address all those issues and many more that we might face, then we just need to give attention to that, to that this morning, to the presence of God and how to practice that. It becomes an imperative then that we just need clarity, that we don't leave to some whimsical chance or some ideology, that we don't put value on something else that might distract us from that. Are you in? Willing to jump on board and join me in wanting to better practice the presence of God? You see, I find that we quote verses like Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We quote that, but I wonder how many of us could quote the first half of that very same verse. In that front half of that verse, we see there that there's a, maybe a condition or at least a connection to a discipline in our lives, to a value that we are to hold. Uh, Brother Lawrence might call that practicing the presence of God. I would just simply put it this way. If you want to enjoy the presence of God, it's not to be a passive position of something that's done to you. Rather, we are to have responsibility and requirement uh, in, uh, as an active participant. And so this morning, we're going to look at the presence of God through four Ps, the prerequisite for gaining it, a preview of it, 
having passion for it, and the practice of it, the prerequisite. What's required of me? Where does one begin if they want to enjoy the presence of God? We're going to look at a preview, examples of it in others' lives. We're going to talk about the passion. How important ought it really be to me? And then the practice. How do I nurture it? How do I sustain it? And so we'll jump in at the prerequisite. Is there anything required in order that I can actually enjoy God's presence in my life? Another quote from uh, uh, Brother Lawrence, in a chapter that's called The Means of Acquiring the Presence of God, he says this, the first means is a new life, received by salvation through the blood of Christ. The soul is united with God through salvation solely by grace. And so I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to to, uh, what we're just talking about now. Oh, so carefully, nothing matters more in life than understanding and settling the question of whether you are saved. Ahead of being able to enjoy even a pittance of the presence of God, you must be saved. And get this, Jesus said that there's going to be those that stand before God one day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, and God will say, depart from me. I know you not. As the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so it doesn't matter how well intended we are, It doesn't matter how religious. It doesn't even matter how much I acknowledge God. Don't be deceived. Just because you say Lord does not provide an automatic entrance through the pearly gates. None of us is going to want to hear, depart from me. And so Jesus said, you must be born again. There must be salvation through Christ. And so the question might be, well, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. And it's recorded in Acts 16, a fellow asked that question, and the response was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Well, what else do I need to believe, or what do I believe? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 unpacks that a bit for us and gives us more definition. And it says there, here's the good news upon which you are saved. If you receive, if you stand on it, if you hold it, hold fast to it, Here it is. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. Do you recognize yourself as a sinner in desperate need of a savior? That Jesus Christ is God's anointed one. That during his death by crucifixion, God punished him for your sin. And that he rose from the dead as evidence of having fully satisfied every legal claim against you for your sins. That's what we're going to be reflecting on and celebrating next Easter weekend. And we sang this song, uh, The Exalted Over All. If you receive that, if you're based your standing before God on that, then if you hold fast to that and to that alone, then you are saved for time and for all eternity. And then the presence of God becomes available and accessible. Once you're a believer, is there still a prerequisite to enjoy God's presence? I'm going to circle back to Hebrews 13 and 5 because I think there's uh, an indication of it there. I see in 13.5 where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that to enjoy his presence, I have to be content with his presence. It's not God and. My contentment is in God's presence alone. I'm content with him, so content with him alone, that as Hebrews 13, 
moves forward, I'm willing to suffer loss physically, reputationally, monetarily. And if I'm to enjoy this hand-in-hand presence with God, then I need to have a hand that loosely holds on to the things of time. I'll say that again. If we're to enjoy the hand-to-hand presence with God, then we need hands that hang loosely onto the things of time. He is present with me. The question is, am I present with him and with him alone? I'm not to treat God as I sometimes cheekily say to people, okay, you've got my divided attention now. Distracted equals diffused. Double-minded, as James 1 talks about, and it doesn't work when it comes to his presence. So that's the prerequisite, to be saved and to be present with him. The preview. Well, what does it look like? Are there some examples in Scripture of what it looks like in the lives of others, and what might that produce in me as I practice presence with God? I'm thinking back to Meldon's January message, Success Without Presence. And Meldon reminded us in Exodus 33 of the danger of seeming success Things are going well, going through the motions, even good motions, good activities, and yet without the vibrant presence of God. The danger of doing right things in our own thinking, in our own strength. We're sincere within our hearts, but nevertheless void of the very real presence of God. And so follow that narrative in Exodus 33. God says this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses responds, oh, if your presence does, does, will not go with me, don't bring me up from here. I'm quite enjoying this talk. Don't bring me up. How else will I or your people know that we have found favor with you? It is in you going with us that we are distinct from every other people in faith on the face of the earth. If you pause and catch that for a moment, how important is our subject matter this morning? It is what distinctly sets us apart from every other faith on the face of the earth is the presence of God in practicing that. And God says in response to Moses there, well, that's precisely what I will do. And Moses, taken with the sovereign God of the universe, he responds and says, show me your glory. And God gives him just this little smattering glimpse of his glory just a bit and boy did that have an impact on Moses and we'll circle back that message from Melvin got me thinking about the presence of God and it prompted reflections within my own heart and my own mind and really actually birthed um, this message today and today we're just trying to take a stab at considering that presence and so we got the examples of Moses in Exodus 33 and by the way that rolls into chapter 34 where the ten commandments are received And by the time he comes away from being in God's presence, he has learned something more of of the holiness of God. And literally, people can see the glow on his face. And that's what happens when we spend time with him. Who else do we have in Scripture? How else did it play out, the presence of God, in the lives of people? Well, there's Luke 24, the two on the road to Emmaus who are coming back or going back home from Jerusalem when the crucifixion had just occurred. And they're down in the dumps. And then Jesus uh, presents himself and opens up the scriptures. And what did they get? They got heartburn. Did not our hearts burn within us? And immediately they get up and they say, let's go tell others. Or Genesis 32, Jacob spending a night wrestling with God. Talk about hand-to-hand combat. 
And now there's presence. He got a new name. He literally uh, walked different and he was blessed by God. Or Isaiah 6, Isaiah seeing the full glory of God. And there's presence. And he, and, um, he said, uh, following that, I am a man of unclean lips. And immediately after that, I'll go. I'll go and tell the people your message. Or Psalm 23, I will fear no evil, not even the valley of death, for you are with me. And we could go on, uh, a host of others. The point being, if you spend time in God's presence, you're going to be different. So I, I came up with these five H's of what happens when you spend time in God's presence. You're going to get heartburn, just like the two on the road to Emmaus. You're going to be hurt or handicapped in some way. Just like Jacob, there's going to be a change in your walk, in your humanity, which will be visibly noticeable. You're going to be humbled, like Paul, who was caught up, as he described it, in the third heaven, and then received uh, or uh, focused on the thorn in his flesh and, and realized his weakness, where God is made strong. You might be like John in Revelation, where you fall down dead before him. Or things like, he must increase, I must decrease, becomes much more than a little phrase on a fridge magnet. You're going to become holy, like Moses. You're just going to glow in some manner. And you're going to be a herald, like Isaiah. You're going to want to proclaim his truth. And so these musings about the presence of God brought me to Psalm 27. And the Psalms in general. I love the Psalms. These are the oh-so-very-real expressions of humanity that are married or brought before God's purview. And Psalms, of course, is the largest book that we've got in the Bible, this collection of 150 um, songs and prayers, uh, some of which actually became active songs and, and, and were handed down through history. So for the Old Testament Jew, many of them were prayers, and they actually put a collection of them together, and they became a prayer book, as it were, while they were in exile. So I want you to think about this now. The Old Testament Jews' regular place of worship was destroyed. They were under the authority of a government that removed from them the freedom to gather and worship God together. Does that sound familiar? And this collection of prayers and songs allowed them to virtually enter a place of worship. Maybe the Psalms hold something of extra value for us today in our COVID-impacted world. Maybe the practice of the Old Testament Jew is something we can learn from to help us rise above that feeling of being lost because we're not able to gather together. So let's move into passion. Really, just how important is it? Let me ask you, what do you want from God? Honestly, what are you most interested in receiving from God? What's your heart cry at this time of your life or at this time of your Christian experience? Maybe it's about your children. Maybe it's about not having enough money or something, um, you know, someone you know is sick. You're at odds with someone. Uh, you dream about having a different life. Someone's hurt you badly. You want a spouse or you want a child. Maybe there's a secret sin that you just can't get victory over. I want you to wrestle with that at a moment for a moment. What's the priority item in your life? Do you even have a prayer priority? Or might you be a little embarrassed if you were to share that prayer priority? Do we have a priority before God? It's that thing that you probably just 
can't do without, or that thing you constantly talk to God about. Starting to get some definition on that? Well, here's a little life story which comes to mind for me. It's the story of the engagement of Todd and Carrie Ann. Now, admittedly, I'll tell you up front, I am not the most romantic man on the earth. So cut me a little bit of slack here. We had um, known each other, scoped each other out maybe for seven, eight months, dated for about seven, eight months, and then I got transferred away. I was gone for about uh, six months. And during that time, we had some discussions about getting married and what might that look like and, and that sort of thing. And so the first time we were actually back together, when I got transferred back to the area, um, we just sat in the car and I, I, I asked her about some of the, her thoughts for that. And the conversation started just going off about all about the timing and parents and all that stuff. And maybe like a typical guy, I'm feeling a little lost in all this detail. And as Carrie Ann continues to talk, I just reached in my pocket and pulled out the ring and mid-sentence she stops. And my proposal sounded like this. Well, do you want it? Now, before you... Um, uh, we wonder what kind of proposal that was. We, we have been married for 41 years and, and counting. Here's the point. There was a number of items on the list that we were going to talk about. But we hadn't yet resolved the priority item. Do you want to be together? Carry on this one thing I ask. Do you want to be together? What's your top ask of God? And does it align with what God says he will provide? Does what I want most line up with what he wants most to provide? Well, we know this. God promises his presence. And he's looking to provide it. And he's looking for those that desire it. Lots of passages. Genesis 14, he says to Jacob, I'm with you. And I'll keep you. Exodus 15, you're a redeemed people. You'll be guided uh, in the strength of the Lord's dwelling place. Jeremiah 30, to the nation of Israel, again, I, I am with you to save you. The Gospels end with, lo, I am with you always. To the end, John 14 in Acts 1, the Father will give you a comfort, comforter who will be with you forever. And you'll come out with others. But from Jacob to the New Testament believer, we see that it's his presence that he wants to provide and to have us desire. And so Psalm 27, as we finally get to that, is a, has a prayer that lets us know what that writer wanted most. This is a psalm of David, the man after God's own heart, the adulterer, murderer, liar, who was declared by God as a man after God's own heart. And I would do well to see what was David's one thing, top priority item that he wanted. Surely someone after God's own heart would be asking for something that aligns to what God desired to provide. And Psalm 27 is this very unique psalm. In fact, scholars think it might actually have been two psalms, or at least some kind of composite psalm. It's this great contrast between verses 1 to 6 and 7 to 14. How could one person go from confident to coward so dramatically? 1 to 6 is faith on the mountaintop. 7 to 14 is fear in the valley. And yet, as the psalmist expresses these thoughts to God from seemingly two very different circumstances in life, I found a common heart expression in both and a link that pulls those together. So we're going to first look at the, the back half, verses 7 to 14. Here's the expressions of fear and trembling. This is not the confidence of a man after God's own heart. It's got the tone and the language of circumstances 
And it's someone that needs grace and guidance and goodness of God. It's the, it's the sound of someone who's not living a confident relationship with God. And he starts to rebound in verses 13 and 14. But most of it is all around circumstances and reactions to that. And that's why he says, teach me how to live because I'm in danger of getting into trouble. And so in verses 7 and verse 9, if you look at that, those are the kinds of things that we find on our prayer lists, right? Many of us at many times. Things like, give me your ear. Give me your mercy. Answer me. Be available. Lord, don't be mad at me. Help me. Stay with me. Save me. Any of that sound familiar? Do your prayers regularly sound like that? Are any things of those things that were on your priority list within those kinds of categories? We don't discount that there's a place for asking for things. On the contrary, we have biblical examples. 3 John 2, pray that you prosper and have health. Romans 8, 32, since God gave up his son for us, how will he not freely give us all things? We've got parables that suggest uh, bring our requests to God. We've got Philippians 4, let your requests be made known to God. But the inherent issue with things and with circumstances is that they don't last. They're always in a state of flux. And the Bible reminds us that that's just the norm. We're called to live stewardship. And being a faithful steward means that we ought not to pout or resent or sulk when with that which I've been blessed with is, suddenly goes away. It makes sense in concept but it's also hard to live in life. We have hymns like, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold and riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands or men's applause and worldwide fam. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Is that your heart? Is that your passion not just idealism or what I wish it was, but I mean top of the list before God and before the people around me. Is that my heart's cry? Or are you a little bit like me and you dare not really say it, voice it openly, but you really want both? So if the focus is not on the lists and of things and circumstances, is there a priority item that I am to desire that aligns to what God desires to provide? Sandwiched in between verses 7 and 9 is, of course, verse 8. The psalmist says in the midst of his prayer list, when you said to God, he says, when you said, seek me, my heart's response was, I will seek you. I just want to be in your presence. I just want some one-on-one -on -one time. I just want your face, God, turned to me. That word seek there in the Hebrew is to seek out, to strive after, to uh, it can be to beg for. And Psalm 27 tells us what to ask for when we're in, unsure in life, when we're lacking confidence about the present or the future. He says to us, seek me. The question is whether my heart responds as David's did, I will seek you, Lord. I believe that's why, despite the sin in David's life, he had the handle of being a man after God's own heart. 
because he responded to God and his response was, I will seek you. Dozen summers ago, I, I listened to a podcast on prayer and it's impacted my prayer life since. And one memorable takeaway uh, from that message was noting the difference between petitional prayer and relational prayer. And so I bring my petitional prayers, God, this is my shopping list. But I, have I got time where it's relational? I just want to spend time with you, Lord. Just sitting, just communing, sometimes spoken words and sometimes unspoken. What do I want from God? What's that repeated craving and yearning? Well, let's look at the first half of the psalm where we see the tone of one who is confident, whose faith is riding high, who's enjoying the mountaintop experience. In verse four, it says, this one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. That word ask or desire, it ranges from anywhere from inquire to request to demand. And so you see the passion of this verse, of this prayer. It's a determined passion. One thing I ask, I demand the most. It's a daily or regular passion. I want to live like this all the days of my life. And it's a focused passion. Oh, oh to catch a glimpse of his beauty, to meditate. That word meditate is to plow uh, in, in his beauty. Can you see the heart of a man that's after God's own heart. Let's put these two Psalm 27 views together. How does that look like in our lives? What do we do with this practically? How are, how are we to live this in the here and now? In times of turmoil, when life is not as we want, when we're unsure or fearful, pray. And pray with your list. And during those times of prayer, when you're aching and groaning, Listen for him as he says, seek me. And then respond, Lord, I seek your face. I keep praying my list, but I'm seeking his presence in the middle of it all. And I'm being moved to the calmer heart of verses 13 and 14. And then as the reality of 13 and 14 settles into my heart, I begin again to live the verses 1 to 6. And the focus of my prayers shift to verse four, one thing I ask, to see you, Lord, and to be able to plow and cultivate in your presence. Here's an example from a boy's life that might help understand the difference. We had a big tree in, in one of the houses I lived at when I was a boy. My older brother would climb that tree, and uh, he got to a place where he, he put some wood in that tree, and I decided at eight years old, I'm going up that tree. And I got up there. I got there. Success. But I was stuck, paralyzed with fear. I couldn't get down. Dad, come rescue me. I needed something. It was urgent. I was afraid. I needed Father to save me from my circumstance. And he did. And you fast forward many years later. I'm 50 years old and my dad dies. I miss him. I would just like another moment of time with him. One more time. I don't need to be rescued from anything. I don't need anything. I just want to hear his voice and to sit with him. Now, our Heavenly Father isn't going to die. He's always going to be with us. But you get the picture. Sometimes as needy children, we're just yelling out, Father, come rescue me. And other times, it's the God of all comfort 
that we just want to spend time with and to admire him. So am I aligned with his desires? Is that the priority desire I have? Or is my laundry list so long that I don't get to the relational prayer? Would it be like the psalmist that we might declare this one thing I seek the most is to seek him? Back to my romantic proposal, not. All through our courtship, uh, probably like a lot of guys, I wrestled, um, is this the one? Is she, is she really the one? I'd already purposed in my heart before dating Carrie Ann that, that I wanted to date to marry. And, uh, and I thought, yep, this, 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 this certainly um, looks like that could be. But how could I be sure? How could I settle that? And as we uh, courted and, and then I moved away for that six months, that's actually what settled it. Instead of wrestling with, could I live with this person? It became apparent, I can't live without her. I couldn't do that. I had to have her presence to be with her. And in being with her, that's where I found the power of love. So that's the passion. Practice. How do I nurture it? How do we sustain it? So I've come to appreciate the value of the presence of God. I'm passionate about it. And like David, it's the one thing I ask. It's my heart's cry. And I, it's a priority above all else. But how do I practice it? Well, a little daily uh, devotional calendar we have at home around mid-February uh, highlighted Psalm 15, 1 and 2. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who will walk blamelessly and does... Uh, it's he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And I, I found a little formula in there. Three practices to maintain the presence or fellowship with God. To abide and dwell in the presence of God might be uh, conditional on attention to this. Walking, working, speaking. Walking has got to do with my behavior. Am I a person of integrity? Working has to do with my activities. Do I do that which is right? And speaking has to do with my interaction uh, with others. Am I honest and truthful? As the song goes, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. You want the presence of God? You want to enjoy his glory? Then walk in his word. Do his will, trust and obey. I'll take you back one more time though to Brother Lawrence. He presents five steps or five actions for practicing the presence of God. The first one we've already talked about. Uh, it's a prerequisite. You've got to be saved through the blood of Christ. You have to be born again. You have to have new life. The second one, you have to practice it with the mind. Gently, humbly, lovingly, fixating your mind on God without giving way to anxiety or problems. Third, you've got to practice it with the heart. Your soul's eyes are fixated on God. The heart, which is that thing that dominates all the rest of our body and our lives. The heart, which is the beginning and end of my spiritual and bodily actions. Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Then fourthly, you've got to practice it with the will. Lord, I am all yours. God of love, I love you with all my heart. Lord, use me according to your will. You choose to remain in his presence. And then fifthly, stay the course. Continue faithfully with your prayer life. These are the five actions for practicing the presence of God. Saved in Christ, 
Fixing the mind, heart, and will on God, and then sticking to it, constant and continuing. You move from belief to experience. Your hope increases. You discover beauty in God infinitely above all that, is, uh, uh, that we see on this earth. And you rejoice at being set apart from the world. You have a violent desire to see God. You become so familiarized with him that you pass into this continuum of love and praise and confidence and thanksgiving and offering and petition. Are you interested? Does that sound attractive? One thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live with you all the days of my life. In Philippians 3, we read, yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I want to know Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, the presence of God is going to be a reality one day. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In a moment, we're going to pray. And instead of the band coming up for our closing song, there's going to be a, a video recording of the uh, song that the uh, GCC in Canada put together, Lord, I Need You. This is practical, tangible stuff, folks. This is not simply wishful thinking or some ideological state. Living as God intends for us to live. The prerequisite, are you saved and are you content with him? The preview, you're going to have heartburn and humility and be handicapped by the world's standards. You'll reflect him and you will herald him. Passion, his presence will be the one thing of your prayer life above all others. And then the practice, and you will increasingly align your mind, heart, and will with him. That I may know his presence in my life. Let's pray. Lord, as we're about to sing, we come and we confess. Bowing here, we find our rest. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. May that be our heart's cry this morning that we want to look upon you and to meditate on your glory, to spend time with you today and through the week and the years to come. For Christ's sake, amen.